This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Series 1, Episode 4 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, Episode Water. Today I will be continuing with my topics that I discuss during private fly fishing lessons. These are the properties of water and how they relate to fly fishing. In this episode, I will start off with a brief reading from one of my favorite books, Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. I will then describe the structure of water molecules. I will list and describe water's unique properties while explaining how each property is related to fly fishing. So sit back, relax, enjoy my reading, and I hope you find this podcast entertaining and educational. Chapter 18, The Bounding Main, from Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. Imagine trying to live in a world dominated by dihydrogen oxide a compound that has no taste or smell and is so variable in its properties that it is generally benign but at other times swiftly lethal. Depending on its state, it can scald you or freeze you. In the presence of certain organic molecules, it can form carbonic acids so nasty they can strip the leaves from trees and eat the faces off statuary. In bulk, when agitated, it can strike with a fury that no human edifice could withstand. Even for those who have learned to live with it, it is an often murderous substance. We call it water. Water is everywhere. A potato is 80% water. A cow, 74%. A bacterium, 75%. A tomato at 95% is little but water. Even humans are 65% water, making us more liquid than solid by a margin of almost two to one. Water is a strange stuff. It is formless and transparent, and yet we long to be beside it. It has no taste and we love the taste of it. We will travel great distances and pay small fortunes to see it in sunshine. 
And even though we know it is dangerous and drowns tens of thousands of people every year, we can't wait to frolic in it. Because water is so ubiquitous, we tend to overlook what an extraordinary substance it is. Almost nothing about it can be used to make reliable predictions about the properties of other liquids and vice versa. If you knew nothing of water and based your assumptions on the behavior of compounds most chemically akin to it, hydrogen selenide, or hydrogen sulfide notably, you would expect it to boil at a minus 135 degrees Fahrenheit and to be as a gas at room temperature. Most liquids when chilled contract by about 10%. Water does too, but only down to a point. Once it is within whispering distance of freezing, it begins perversely, beguingly, extremely improbably to expand. By the time it is solid, it is almost a tenth more voluminous than it was before. Because it expands, ice floats on water. Quote, an utterly bizarre property, end quote, according to John Gribben. If it lacked the splendid waywardness, ice would sink and lakes and oceans would freeze from the bottom up. Without surface ice to hold heat in, the water's warmth would radiate away, leaving even chillier and creating more ice. Soon after the oceans would freeze and almost certainly stay that way for a very long time, probably forever, hardly the conditions to nurture life. Thankfully for us, water seems unaware of the rules of chemistry or laws of physics. Everyone knows that water's chemical formula is H2O, which means that it consists of one largish oxygen atom with two smaller hydrogen atoms attached to it. The hydrogen atoms cling fiercely to the oxygen host but also make casual bonds with other water molecules. The nature of a water molecule means that it engages in a kind of dance with other water molecules, briefly pairing and then moving on, like the ever-changing partners in a quadrile, to use Robert Kunzig's nice phrase. A glass of water may not appear terribly lively, but every molecule in it is changing partners billions of times a second. That's why water molecules stick together to form bodies like puddles and lakes, but not so tightly they can't be easily separated, as when, for instance, you dive into a pool of them. At any given moment, only 15% of them are actually touching. In one sense, the bond is very strong. It is why water molecules can flow uphill when siphoned, and why water droplets on a car hood show such a singular determination to bead with their partners. It is also why water has surface tension. The molecules at the surface are attracted more powerfully to the like molecules beneath and beside them than to the air molecules above. This creates a sort of membrane, strong enough to support insects and skipping stones. It is what gives the sting to a belly flop. I hardly need to point out that we would be lost without it. Deprived of water, the human body rapidly falls apart. Within days, the lips vanish. As if amputated, the gums blacken, the nose withers to half its length, and the skin so contracts around the eyes as to prevent blinking. Water is so vital to us that it is easy to overlook that all but the smallest fraction of the water on earth is poisonous to us, deadly poisonous, because of the salts within it. We need salt to live, but only in very small amounts, and seawater contains way more, about 70 times more salt than we can safely metabolize. A typical liter of seawater will contain only about 2.5 teaspoons of common salt, the kind we sprinkle on food, but much larger amounts of other elements, compounds, and other dissolved solids, which are collectively known as salts. The proportions of these salts and minerals in our tissues is uncannily similar to seawater. We sweat and cry seawater. As Margulis and Saganoff put it, but curiously we cannot tolerate them as an input. Take a lot of salt into your body 
and your metabolism very quickly goes into crisis. From every cell, water molecules rush off like so many volunteer firemen to try to dilute and carry off the sudden intake of salt. This leaves the cells dangerously short of the water they need to carry out their normal functions. They become, in a word, dehydrated. In extreme situations, dehydration will lead to seizures, unconsciousness, and brain damage. Meanwhile, the overworked blood cells carry the salt to the kidneys, which eventually become overwhelmed and shut down. Without functioning kidneys, you die. That is why we don't drink seawater. There are 320 million cubic miles of water on Earth, and that is all we're ever going to get. The system is closed. Practically speaking, nothing can be added or subtracted. The water you drink has been around doing its job since the Earth was young. By 3.8 billion years ago, the oceans had, at least more or less, achieved their present volumes. The water realm is known as the hydrosphere, and it is overwhelmingly oceanic. 97% of all the water on Earth is in the seas, the greatest part of it in the Pacific, which covers half the planet and is bigger than all the land masses put together. Altogether, the Pacific holds just over half of all the ocean water, 51.6% to be precise. The Atlantic has 23.6% and the Indian Ocean 21.2%, leaving just 3.6% to be accounted for by all the other seas. The average depth of the ocean is 2.4 miles, with the Pacific on average around 1,000 feet deeper than the Atlantic and Indian Oceans. Altogether, 60% of the planet's surface is ocean, more than a mile deep. As Philip Ball notes, we would better call our planet not Earth, but water. Of the 3% of Earth's water that is fresh, most exists as ice sheets. Only the tiniest amount, 0.036%, is found in lakes, rivers, and reservoirs. And an even smaller part, just 0.001%, exists in clouds or as vapor. Nearly 90% of the planet's ice is in Antarctica, and most of the rest in Greenland. Go to the South Pole and you will be standing on nearly 2 miles of ice. At the northern pole, just 15 feet of ice. Antarctica alone has 6 million cubic miles of ice, enough to raise the oceans by a height of 200 feet if it all melted. But if all the water in the atmosphere fell as rain, evenly everywhere, the oceans would deepen by only one inch. Well, that concludes my section of Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. I will have links to where you can purchase this book on my website. And I hope you enjoyed that. That book is one of my favorites, and as a biology teacher, I refer to it often. My students knew it as the book. Moving on, I hope what I'm going to talk about now isn't redundant with what Bill Bryson said, but I want to repeat some of it, and the more I repeat, hopefully more you will be engaged and remember what I said. So continuing, as defined by dictionary.com, water is a clear, colorless, odorless, and tasteless liquid. H2O, essential for most plant and animal life, and the most widely used of all solvents. Freezing point, 0 degrees Celsius, 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Boiling point, 100 degrees Celsius, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Weight per gallon, 8.338 pounds, or 3.782 kilograms. Water is a molecule. A molecule is a substance which is made up of one or more elements. Water is comprised of two elements, one being oxygen, and there's one oxygen molecule, and two hydrogen molecules. 
Water molecules are known as polar molecules, which means they have opposite ends having opposite electric charges. The hydrogen and oxygen molecules are joined by a hydrogen bond, which is a weak attraction between the hydrogen atom of one molecule and a slightly negative atom within the oxygen molecule. This is a weak bond that is easily broken. Bryson explained that as the belly flop. The sting you feel on your skin is you breaking the hydrogen bonds. And you've got to break those hydrogen bonds when fishing. If you want to get a fly to sink in the water, you've got to break those hydrogen bonds on top to get that fly below the surface. The following properties of water allow life to exist on Earth. They also just happen to relate to fly fishing, which is why they're on the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Water is hydrophilic. Hydro meaning water and philic the love of. Water molecules want to be around other water molecules. We use this term in our fly fishing clothing design. Modern technology has allowed for hydrophilic fibers that absorb sweat off your body to keep you dry. Backpacks have hydrophilic straps. Your base layers, I prefer Patagonia, have hydrophilic materials which wick the moisture off of your skin and transport away so you don't get cold when your body cools down, which eventually could lead to hypothermia. Fleece is hydrophilic, and the inside of your waders is hydrophilic, meaning that the water from your body or from the material it's wicked off of is going to be sent to the membrane and out, which keeps you dry, theoretically. Some objects are hydrophobic, hydro meaning water and phobic meaning the fear of. There are some things that fear water and thus repel it. Oils and fats, which is why they float on top of water. Your skin, except for your fingertips, that's when you get pruny in the tub, water will absorb into sort of the dead skin layers. The outside of your waders and raincoats should be hydrophobic. Fly lines need to be hydrophobic if you want them to float. Strike indicators, they're not gonna stay on top of the water if they're hydrophilic, absorbing water and sinking. Fly line dressings such as silica and other fly dressings of pastes, fly line paste, etc. Those are gonna be hydrophobic. Objects that fear water and you use them all the time in fly fishing. Whether you knew the term hydrophobic or not, now you know how it relates to fly fishing. The next property of water is cohesion. Molecules of the same kind sticking to one another. Water molecules stick together. They beat up, as Bryson said. They form clouds, puddles, streams, lakes, and oceans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have to break the hydrogen bonds and the cohesion between two or more water molecules to sink your fly, nymphs, and other items such as split shot that have to break the water's surface tension and sink. And insects have to break the cohesion in order to escape, those being nymphs emerging to adults. This also explains why most leaves point down and have what is called a drip tip in nature, because if water built up on the leaves, then there would be fungus and other things that would cause the plant to rot. Most of you'll see this in the tropics, but if you have a ficus tree in your house, you'll notice they point down with the drip tip. And since water is subjected to Earth's gravitational forces, all of these joined molecules via cohesion will flow downhill. A characteristic of cohesion is surface tension. Cohesion pulls water molecules together on the water's surface. 
This surface tension can support objects such as fly lines, leaders, flies, strike indicators, your boat, insects such as water striders and whirligig beetles, mayflies, caddisflies, etc. And it supports your flies, Griffith gnats, royal coachmans, royal wolves, RS2 emergers that need to be right in that surface film, beetles, Chernobyl ants, grasshoppers, or pretty much any little dry fly that you need to sit on the water surface. In the last podcast, we called those dry flies. The next property of water is adhesion, which is the attraction that occurs between unlike molecules. Water molecules will not only be attracted to each other, cohesion, but to other objects. So water molecules will bond to your floating fly line, and the action of breaking this adhesive bond on your back cast creates tension, and that's what the term water hauling is. So when you cast out your line, it's floating in the water, and it's bound to the hydrogen molecules. That PVC-coated line plus the water are bound together, and on your back cast, you are pulling that bond apart. And the tension from them being bound is what causes your line to go taut and allows you to back cast or water haul without having to strip the line in first. Other examples would be water moving up the xylem in a tree or in the veins of the tree. Your contact lenses sticking to your eyes is another form of adhesion. Your eyes have moisture on them and your contact lenses will stick to them because of that. Two unlike molecules sticking together. And for a non-water example, geckos can walk on glass and upside down because their fingertips form an atomic bond to the glass. There's so many smaller branching particles that you cannot see with the naked eye that keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller, each time increasing the surface area for those structures to attach and they can bind to the glass and that allows geckos to walk upside down and on glass. And a characteristic of adhesion is capillary action, which is fluid moving up something without being forced, like blood in a capillary tube at the doctor's office. Now, I'm still thinking of a fishing example. Off the top of my head, I can't get one now, so I don't know, we'll just continue. Diffusion is one of the next terms I'm gonna talk about, which is molecules going from a high concentration to a lower concentration. Oxygen diffuses from water into the fish's bloodstream. There's also the water molecules dissolving in and out of a fish's cells as a fish goes from salt water to fresh water and vice versa. That's a topic for a whole other podcast. However, molecules diffuse and spread out at a rapid distance in water. Salmon returning to their native streams, they can smell those water molecules that have diffused from their home stream out into the ocean where they have been spending the last three to four years. Sharks can also detect blood one part per billion because that blood molecules will slowly diffuse out away from an injured organism. Sweat diffuses off your skin into your base layers. It goes from a higher concentration, which is on your body, to the lower concentration, which is the dry clothing. Flies becoming waterlogged, rabbit strips, they're dry in your fly box, you put them in the water. Water is going from high concentration to low concentration. This also happens with gases, which is why Tom always has to roll down the car windows when we're on road trips trying to make a gas go from higher concentration to lower concentration. Water is also considered the universal solvent. Molecules dissolve in water, dirt, sodium, oxygen, and chemicals. You can see the dirt when streams are muddy. Sodium, you can't really see, but you can taste it. 
Oxygen, you can't see that, but you know where the fish are going to be because they're going to want to have highly oxygenated water. And chemicals, you can see oil floating on the water. That's not technically dissolved, it's floating on top. But there are certain chemicals now that are being leached from humans into the water, which is causing all sorts of organisms to turn from males to females. And Now speaking of water as the universal solvent, since water is the solvent, the object being dissolved into the water is the solute. When the concentration of water is greater than the concentration of solute, we call that a hypertonic solution, meaning it is less concentrated. When the solute is in a higher concentration than water, we call that a hypertonic or highly concentrated solution. Hypo meaning below, hypodermic needles go below your skin, the derm, and hypertonic meaning above the tonic level. Hyper as in like hyperactive, it's above being active. Osmosis is another characteristic which is water diffusing from a high concentration to a low concentration through a permeable membrane, like skin or Gore-Tex. Again, fish moving from fresh to salt water, or vice versa, are subject to changes in cell concentrations or osmotic pressure. That's going to be a whole other topic. Let's talk about dissolved oxygen. Dissolved oxygen is going to be in higher concentrations in colder water. Colder water holds more dissolved oxygen than warm water. Oxygen molecules are forced out by diffusion as water temperature rises. It's going to go from the colder water to the warmer air. Turbulent water catches more O2 and forces it into the water. So fish will concentrate near colder water sources, be it springs, dam releases, or shade for the oxygen concentrations. It's easier for them to breathe. Fish will also congregate near riffles, plunge pools, as if they could get out of a pool where there's a big plunge on either end, dam releases, etc., for increased oxygen. Water is a denser, thicker medium than air. Organisms require more calories to move through water, so fish will hold where they can stay in one position and not expend too much energy to maintain that position. They're also going to be shaped to allow them the ease of movement through the thicker medium. Sound is going to travel faster and farther in water because the molecules are adjoining. You need to be careful when you're stripping your line out. You don't want to make too much noise. You don't want to make too much noise walking along the bank or entering the water. You don't want to splash too much with your boat or your kickboat, your fins. You don't want to have your fly land in the water too loud, your split shot or your strike indicators. And if you're night fishing, you actually do want them to be able to hear your fly at the water because fish may be feeding based on sound and not on sight. Next up is buoyancy. Objects less dense than water will float in or on top of the water. A float tube is full of air to keep your butt from sinking to the bottom. It's more buoyant than the water. If you take a slice of bread and throw it on top of the water, it will float until it absorbs water and sinks. But if you take that dry slice of bread and squish it up into a ball and throw it in, it's going to sink. All those air pockets in the surface area have decreased. It's more dense than the water. It is less buoyant. Flies that are buoyant are going to float. Flies that are less buoyant are going to sink. The next property of water is ice. Ice is frozen water. Ice is less dense than water, so it floats. Floating ice insulates the liquid water below, allowing life to persist under the frozen surface. Fly fishing in the wintertime has its own perils. Ice is going to form in your guides as you strip in the line. If the ice gets too narrow in the guides, it's going to start pinching on your line and can eventually cut it and damage it. And as you exit and enter the water, ice is going to form on your waders and your boots. And if you're wearing 
felt soles, then it's going to start caking on very densely and it may make walking very treacherous. Ice sheets and shelves will also form in the wintertime and break off. Those floating ice shelves and chunks can float down the stream and if you're not paying attention, they can hit you in your knees, your shins, your ankles, your feet and knock you out from where you're standing, so be careful. Ice also can form in between rocks, which is going to crack them as it expands and that's gonna cause rocks along the riverbank to possibly be brittle, so be careful. Ice going from a solid state to a gaseous state while skipping to the liquid state is called sublimation. You'll see that sometimes in the winter time when you see fog just above snow. Now, if you wanna win some money in a bar trivia contest, maybe the word sublimation will come up, and you can thank me by buying me around next time you see me. Temperature moderation is another characteristic of water. Geographic locations on and near water are affected by the water near them. Water temperature changes slower than air temperature, which allows for coastal locations to be cooler in the summer and warmer in winter. Additional moisture from large bodies of water can fuel storms and cause lake effect snows. Temperature moderation allows for temperate rainforests to be located up the Pacific coasts of North America, including Seattle area and the Tongass National Forest up to Alaska. Evaporation is a characteristic of water. It's when water goes from liquid to gaseous stage. It's a cooling effect as wind moves across your skin. So on hot days, you want to have some skin exposed so you don't overheat, but not too much that you're going to get sunburn. Water will evaporate from the water's surface in the summertime, which will account for water levels dropping. And to throw in another botany term, evapotranspiration is what happens when plants lose water directly from their surface, causing plants to wilt and the excess gas that evaporates out will form haze in the summertime. Erosion is not a characteristic of water, but water causes erosion. Land is shaped by the forces of water moving over it. Water will carve its course through the earth as it moves downstream towards the ocean. Water is always trying to get into a state of equilibrium where it's slowed down. This characteristic is prevalent in streams that go along valley floors. They meander. Meandering streams are caused by water trying to reach that equilibrium of its speed. It's going to carve out bends in one side of the stream to slow it down and the sediment that gets carved out is going to be deposited on the other side. And that is going to be known as cut banks and deposited banks. And those cut banks where it's scouring out, great place to look for fish. Well, that's about it for my fly fishing consultant podcast talk on water and its properties. I started off with a brief reading from Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything, the chapter on water, the bounding main. I described the structure of a water molecule. It's made up of two hydrogens and one oxygen, sort of shaped like a inverted V, as the two hydrogens are below and the oxygen is up top, which accounts for it being polar. I went on to explain water's unique properties while explaining how each property is related to fly fishing, cohesion, adhesion, capillary action, temperature moderation, and ice. I hope you learned a little bit more about fly fishing today and the influence that water has on fly fishing. We are anglers. Our life revolves around water. We can't drive over a bridge and not look down to see what's going on in the stream below. Fish just happen to live in water, so we have to know about water in order to catch those fish. I thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, Series 1, Episode 4, Water. Please contact me with any questions, comments, or suggestions through my website, robsnowwhite.com that's snow white with one w and if you want to support the fly fishing consultant podcast please visit dragonflyfishing.com and buy a beer can lanyard until next time thanks for listening